This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Well, Alan Roddick has been publishing poetry for more than 50 years now. His new collection is called Next. And we're going to take a moment on ORFM's awesome morning show to talk with Alan Roddick now. Morena, good to have you with us, Alan. Good morning, Jeff. Good to talk to you. 50 years, eh? Uh, when we go back to that first book, what was it published? 1967? 67, yes, yes. And uh, yes, well, I suppose with this being your third collection, one might say that you were careful and considered about when you publish. <laughs> there was about a 49-year gap between the first book and the second um, and during that time, I did all sorts of other things, like trying to earn a living and and DIY on various houses and uh, whatever I was doing. I just wasn't being visited by the muse. She seems to have lost my phone number for those years. But, How interesting! So you weren't, you didn't find that you were writing at all during that time, or was it just something that um, that uh, you know you weren't satisfied with what you were what you were producing? Uh, mostly the latter. Mostly things just didn't seem to gel. I've got one or two poems in the present book, which I had started back in the 1970s, I think, and thought I had finished, but they just didn't feel right. Came back to them a few years ago and uh, fixed them. And um, they look okay to me now, so it's good to rescue one or two things from your past. Indeed. The first collection was called The I Corrects. That's the one we talked about in 1967. That was followed by Getting It Right in 2016. Yes. And and this one called Next. Interesting yes, title, Alan. Uh, Alan, tell us about that. It's maybe an optimistic title since I'm 84 now, and um, Next implies that it's not my last, but realistically that could turn out to be but looking on the optimistic side I'm more of a glass half full person um, I thought next was a good uh, title for it and there's um, an epigraph from a poem of Alan Kurnow's as long as there's a next there's no last <laughs> that's nice isn't it oh. um, yep. Alan take us back to 1967 and the publication of your first collection uh, how would you describe yourself as a man and a poet at that time? I'd been writing since I was a teenager, and I had the tremendous luck of being uh, having poems accepted by landfall while I was still at school in Auckland. Um, and when I came down to Dunedin to, to take dentistry, I was um, very pleased to be able to catch up with Charles Brash and uh, get to know him. And there was quite a group of um, young writers around the university at the time and the, the writing group that we constituted met occasionally, sometimes at Brash's house, mostly at flats roundabout. Um, and there was, I, I felt that I was on my way to something except that there was always dentistry to do and um, that's a more, much more realistic profession than writing poems. <laughs> you are... Uh, you mentioned Charles Brash. You are literary executive for Charles Brash. What does that mean for you? Yes, I didn't expect to take the job on, of course, because he asked me about nineteen in about 1970, not expecting to be dead three years later. And uh, I didn't expect it, it to come along for the next 20 or something years because he was only 60 at the time and uh, had really no idea what it might entail. But it has mostly meant publishing three of his collections um, over the years, 
and giving permissions for the reprint of various of Brash's poems. That has, has tailed off um, as time has gone on, except that quite by chance, uh, an academic publication um, selected a poem of Brash's for its epigraph for a collection of essays on some uh, academic subject. I've forgotten what it is. It's going to be published in Britain, I think. And uh, that popped up two or three weeks ago, so hmm. I got the opportunity to say yes to that. Is it a responsibility you've enjoyed? I have enjoyed it. It's put me in touch with a wide range of people, because Brash was a very well-connected fellow, as you may know, um, and and lots of family, lots of friends, lots of uh, so, so, sort of work colleagues, in, in uh, inverted commas, um, and um, it has it has been enormously informative for me and and rewarding to make contact with uh, with such a wide range of people and after his death to get to know Brash better I think. Mm. Let's turn to your own work now and the work in next. When you when you look at uh, the this collection of poems and you look at the collection from 1967, can you? Can you see um, the younger man in that writing compared to what you're producing now? I think so. I think I can. Um, in um, a an ambition to engage with what's happening, uh, with what events and and people are sparking in my mind, but I'm happy to to think that there's a much greater con competence uh, in how I have been writing over the last 15 or 16 years. Um, it would be nice to think that there were some benefits out of so many years of um, doing all sorts of other things. You've <laughs> grown, grown up a bit. <laughs> I wonder yeah. if we might, at this op- opportunity, Alan, take take one of the poems from next. Have you got a choice, or shall I pick? No, you, you pick, Alan. Well, there's a few years ago, my old friend Brian O'Rourke, um, who was a well-known Dunedin personality, um, told me the story of um, sort of having met Brash only once. He knew that I was uh, connected with Brash. We were good friends for a good number of years, Brian and I. And um, he told me this story, which um, I made into a little poem called How Brian Didn't Meet the Poet. No, I never met your poet, but he did speak once to our English class. I sat up front and still remember not what he said, but the way he looked. His polished brogues, sharply creased trousers, show handkerchief in the breast pocket with one for use tucked into his cuff. I'd never seen a man so well dressed. And what's more, he'd put on cologne. In those days, we hadn't heard of that. All the men we knew of dressed to work. They smelled of work. And Brash smelled beautiful. (laughs) I don't remember what he read, no. (laughs) (laughs) How wonderful. You mentioned... Sorry, yes, go on. I was going to say, I I, I think that's quite a, a um, an accurate depiction of Brash, who was a quite a snappy dresser in a quiet way. Alan, you mentioned competence in, in your writing. 
Um, what does competence represent for you? How do you detect and determine it? Hmm. It's very difficult to, to put a description to it. It is a feeling. If When I've finished a poem, or I think I've finished a poem, if it has... Um, if it all hangs together, if there's got if it's got the right rhythms and the right sounds to it, and all of the words feel as though they're the the correct ones, um, it just feels right. That's partly why the title of the second book was getting it right because it was um, trying to describe what my ambition was in those new poems at that time. And there's a, I have a curious curious. Um, experience with poems um, that when I've got the poem right and there's no more can be done to it it sort of leaves me and um, resists having any further changes to it I come back to it tomorrow and have a look at it and it says no no go away you were okay yesterday don't mess things up now that you've got it got them right mm. and um, if one has developed that sort of instinct to listen and pay attention to what's happening, that can be very useful. I've heard similar comments from songwriters, Alan. Ah, yes, yes. Oh, I envy the ability of people to write songs. There's some glorious songs, and, and it's it's not a skill that I've ever had, um, but it's, um, it's enormously valuable. When you come to putting a collection together... What is the process? Are you are you considering how the poems sit against each other? Are you considering order? Are you considering theme? Yes, I. Um, for a long time, I've just been collecting poems and putting them into a file on my computer. And the file, as it happens, was called Next because um, not because it was a title, but uh, because the, the next poem went in there. And when I came to print them all off and lay them all out on the floor of the sitting room and rummage them around to see what seemed to go next to what and feel comfortable there, um, there was clearly there were clearly some um, useful divisions. One of them was the number of poems about growing up, which I did initially in Northern Ireland. There were a few sort of um, childhood poems went in there. And there were a number of poems that I felt were to do with getting to know New Zealand after I came here with my family in 1952. Um, there were a number of poems to do with writers such as Charles Brash, for example, um, and with, with reading and writing poems. And then there was a whole bunch of other poems um, which were miscellaneous, but some of them naturally seemed to sit together. Um, I wrote a poem about the lockdown whenever that was, two or three years ago, um, and um, another poem about the end of a lockdown. Obviously, they sit together. Um, there are poems about uh, people who are fishing, fly fishing and floundering, and there's a certain um, commonality of subject about those. I think one theme that I hadn't noticed it until I looked, came back and looked at all of these poems when I got the book in my hand the other week, um, one of the, th the things that I mostly enjoy writing about is people doing difficult things and making a good job of it, such as good fly fishermen or 
um, a surgeon looking at a particular lesion and doing a good job, or a dentist doing a good job of an extraction, those kinds of things, or a plumber installing a tap. There's a poem about that. Mm. There's and, one called uh, There's one called My Last Poem, Ellen. Uh, uh, hopefully it is not. Any poem that I've finished, Jeff, is my last poem, technically, um, and it may not be followed by another one. Um, so there's a bit of a pun involved in that. <laughs> and I was... I. I made sure not to put that poem at the end of the book because it didn't seem to be appropriate. That mm. It was just too obvious. <laughs> it's one thing to have the collection. It's another to actually follow through and get it published. Never an easy process, I wouldn't imagine. You've been working with the Tiger University Press. Tell us how it came about. Yes, I'd, um, they had published uh, Getting It Right in 2016, which was a great treat. And they also published the uh, Charles Brash selected poems, which I did for them about the same time. So I have a, had a good working relationship with them. I've also been published by Oxford University Press and by Caxton Press. And um, just last year, I had a, a, um, a Russian translation, um, a long poem by Alexander Bloch, published by Cold Hub Press in, um, in Littleton. So I've got a sort of stable of people um, whom I can call my publishers. But Otago is a really good team to work with, and they do a lovely job. And the the, the beautiful cover of this book with a, from a painting by Hannah Kasselberg um, speaks to that very clearly. Mm, it is a beautiful book. Mm. Is the muse still with you, Alan? I've been working on a poem for several weeks now, and it's still talking to me, and I'm still listening. I, I do most of my best listening at three in the morning if I wake up and listen to the silence. That's a good place to hear suggestions coming from somewhere inside my head, I suppose. Um, so it's still vital, still viable at the moment, but I might have to go back to something that I gave up last year and have another look at it and see if it comes alive again. I've been speaking with Alan Roddick about his collection of poems called Next, poems from 2016 to 2021 out on Otago University Press. Before we go, Alan, one more poem from you? Um, have we got a minute and a half? We certainly do. Okay. I've had two dental poems, um, one from about 1963, which was called A Patient, and um, I happened to get another one just last year after I had uh, been to see a new dentist, and she had done a particularly nice job for me. And this, um, you don't want too many dent dental poems. They're a bit of a strange fish anyway, and um, there's no point in getting too carried away with trying to jam the two themes together but this one seemed to work it's called a happy birthday and it's for my dentist with thanks i've been prepared for this but am i ready too late right on time we're here to work first the local once known as painless today that's precisely what it is so far so good and we've time to chat you talk to me about decluttering, what the Swedes call editing your life. There's yet another book to tell us how. Then back to work, and I get put in charge. 
with raise your hand if you want me to stop. We'll try the straight elevator first. As that steel blade asks me hard questions, my hands lie relaxed, remembering how to do what is happening now. Digging in, disturbing, digging out. Until somewhere below my horizon, your forceps have finished what I'm here for. Bite firmly on this pad for five minutes. I do as I'm told. And then it's time to go. Newly edited, 84, but now with one more dental poem in my head. <laughs> Alan Roddick, it's been a great pleasure to talk with you this morning on ORFM's Awesome Morning Show. Thank you for the time and thank you for your book, Next. And, Lovely uh, to talk to you, Jeff. Hopefully we can talk about the next. <laughs> when is the next? I will look forward to that. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.